Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka. Welcome to episode number 125, I can't believe it, of ADHD for Smartass Women. How are you doing? So if you don't mind, I'm going to start with just a few podcast reviews. I... Really appreciate those of you who take the time to post a review. It helps us get the word out so that we're able to help more listeners just like you. And thank you as well for all of your lovely gold stars. Okay, so let's start with where do you all get these names from? Amiraglia. And I probably massacred it, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Anyway, the title is Feel So Much Better About My ADHD. Gosh, I love to hear that. This podcast has really changed how I see myself. I was diagnosed with ADHD as a young adult, as I'm finding many women were. Since stumbling upon Tracy's podcast, I have developed an appreciation for my ADHD. Yay! Her consistent positive attitude and unapologetic confidence in both her abilities and the abilities of her guests have really helped me to see the positives in myself. I see that I accomplished so much undiagnosed. Now that I have some workarounds in my toolbox, my students, my family and friends and my triplet boys, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous of you, are getting the best version of me. Tracy, I hope you plan to continue recording for a while. Yeah, a little longer. Thank you so much. Okay, then we have one from Kimberly. Now that name is easy to say. Wow is the title. I've never felt so seen, validated, understood, and have laughed so much at all the common traits I have with other women. This has truly been a light bulb moment finding this podcast and has encouraged me to reach out to a doctor for diagnoses, figure out my workarounds, and given me hope to continue to pursue my career dreams. Thank you. You go for it, Kimberly. Absolutely. We have these brilliant badass brains, don't we? Okay, one more. And it's from uh, Ahifiabjev. 
honestly, I think you all just like plug in letters, you know, you close your eyes and you just plug in a bunch of letters and that's what I get and I have to read, but it's a wonderful review. So thank you. The title is life-changing, affirming, positive, powerful, potent. I don't use those words lightly. When I found this podcast, I was in a dark place. I had just begun to accept my diagnosis as an adult with ADHD, and I was struggling with feeling inferior and realizing basically all the problems I had struggled with for my entire life were part of who I am, part of my infrastructure, not something I could will away. It was hard to accept. I'm a very willful, driven person. Many of us are, aren't we? And I generally stop at nothing to transform my life, myself, my circumstances, and the world around me into my idealistic view, or at least something more like it. This podcast introduced me to the philosophy of neurodiversity in a new way, and I was finally able to understand, this is a bit embarrassing, that brains can be different and not be wrong, that we can simultaneously hold strengths with deficits as the other side of the coin. Yes, we can. Because of this podcast, I have been able to take steps to make positive changes in my life to find the support I need. And much of that support has come from the Facebook group associated with this podcast. I love to hear this. I have finally found my people after a lifetime of not fitting in, of feeling like a weirdo, outcast, and dysfunctional individual filled with more quirks than I can count. Thank you, Tracy. Well, thank you for such a lovely gold star filled review. I so appreciate all of you. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? What do you do if you have a friend or even worse, a spouse, parent, or sibling who's a non-believer? This podcast is for those people. You can literally say, here, sit down, listen to this, and turn it on. And the reason I decided that we needed this podcast is because I literally get requests for it every week. There is so much frustration around having to deal with non-believers, whether we're talking about friends, parents of adults who are just diagnosed, spouses who don't believe, friends who don't believe, etc. When you have ADHD, there's a good chance that one or more of your kids is likely to have ADHD as well. It's especially hard when you're trying to care for an ADHD child, but you have a spouse who doesn't believe in ADHD. And frankly, this is always due to a lack of education. So that's where we need to start. So let's start. So welcome, listeners. (laughs) First thing I want to say is that if you're listening to this and you don't believe in ADHD, and you don't believe in it based on zero extensive research, and you have a good friend or family member who has ADHD, flat out, it's hurting your relationship. And you need to educate yourself about ADHD before one more thing comes out of that mouth. Yeah. Relationships, they're about one of two things. They're either about connection or they're about power. Connection would sound like, you know what? This is really important to you. So because it's important to you, it's going to be important to me. I want to understand what ADHD is, what ADHD looks like, and I'm willing to learn. I am going to grant you that you know more than I do because you've actually done the research. Power would look like, nope, I'm right. You're wrong. I'm not even willing to look at the science because 
there's no such thing as ADHD. And you know, sometimes I see parents doing this because they don't understand ADHD. And I'm talking about like parents that I work with that may have children with ADHD. And it's usually one parent, you know, is being dragged by the other parent. And because they don't understand ADHD and because it's so pathologized and sometimes, you know, you can be scared and you don't want to see your kids as broken or defective. So it's a lot of misinformation and you really have no clue that there are strengths and a huge upside when ADHD is addressed and then properly managed. And so that's about education. So I work hard to give parents the benefit of the doubt because in general, I think it's true that most parents, you know, we really do love our children and we want the best for them. We just need to be willing to get a little education around ADHD. And if you ask those parents, okay, so you've been doing it your way. How's that working for you? They're often going to fess up that, yeah, there's got to be a better way because it's not working so well. And sometimes, you know, those are the same parents who can really dig in, but when they start to see that they can apply things that actually work and they can see progress with their kids, they tend to be the best educators for other non-believers. And what's funny is that those parents who are really dug in, oftentimes uh, their child, um, yeah, they got their ADHD from them. You know, sometimes us ADHDers, we can struggle with black and white thinking. I'm right, you're wrong, despite the fact that life is mostly shades of gray. So if you care, which I'm going to assume that you really do, the best thing you can do is to educate yourself using reputable resources, meaning science and ADHD experts. And if you're brand new to this ADHD thing, I promise you that you know absolutely nothing about how the ADHD brain works. And I am speaking from experience. So if you believe that ADHD is actually a character flaw or a moral failing, it's a behavioral disorder, you know, people not taking responsibility for their own actions, bad parenting, and I don't know, what's lacking is actually discipline. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. Now, maybe you've seen that disgraceful meme, I had ADHD too, but was suddenly healed when my dad's belt came off. So, just so you know, it's not okay to hit kids. It's not okay to scream and yell at kids. And people who subscribe to this method of parenting, this style of parenting, this authoritarian model of parenting, this I'm the parent and what I say goes, and since I'm bigger than you, I can force you to do what I want you to do. Just as an aside, I've never seen parents who use this strategy who actually have a good relationship with their kids, especially once their kids become adults. Once the kids grow up, they're resentful, they're angry, and you've probably caused them trauma, which we know can lead to anxiety and depression and disordered eating and substance abuse and poor self-esteem and an inability to deal with conflict and on and on and on. Now, don't get me wrong. Kids with ADHD yeah, they need even more structure and discipline than your neurotypical kids, but discipline is not about hitting, yelling, or demoralizing a child. It's about immediate consequences to their actions. 
And if you think it's okay to hit kids, you need parenting classes because you're out of control and you're causing trauma to your kids. You know, when we know better, we do better. And I don't ever want to hear again, well, I got the belt or I got the wooden spoon and I'm totally fine. Again, when we know better, we do better. And we now know that this is what causes trauma to our kids. It's violence. One more thing I want to say, lest you shut this podcast off right now, have a little grace for yourself. I mean, if I'm really honest with myself and you, before my son was diagnosed with ADHD, I didn't know what it was either. And I'm not sure that I believed in it because I too probably read that stupid and misleading article (laughs) that suggested that the French don't have ADHD. Did you read that? So I also had this ridiculously easy daughter who did whatever she was asked. She could sit for hours. And of course, I thought that that had to do with my fabulous parenting. So I was willing to share my advice with anyone who would ask and sometimes those who wouldn't ask. And the truth of the matter was, it wasn't because of my fabulous parenting. No, she was born that way. And I know that because I had a son and I parented him the exact same way. And he didn't do much of what I asked him to do. I also, at the time, I didn't know about the genetic research. You know, ADHD, it's as heritable as height. So who else in your family has it? I didn't know about the brain image scans that showed that the ADHD brain actually is different. I didn't know about the twin studies. And I'm certain that I didn't even know what dopamine was. Okay, so you think that there's no such thing as ADHD. Let's start there, okay? There's no such thing as ADHD. Do you know that every mainstream medical, psychological, and educational organization has concluded that ADHD is real and that those children and adults who have it benefit from treatment, period? Of course, we know, or I know, that the National Institute of Health, the American Medical Association, the U.S. Surgeons General, the American Association of Psychiatry, the U.S. Department of Education, they all state that ADHD is a neurobiological condition that affects anywhere from 5 to 10% of kids and 4% of adults. And the Department of Education is required by law to provide special accommodations to kids with ADHD. And I'm going to post this link in my show notes. In 2009, Nora Volko's research found that ADHD is a deficit of interest and that the motivational machinery and mechanisms in ADHD brains work differently. That doesn't mean that we can't get things done. We just have to do things a certain way. And that way is subjective, meaning just because X works for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. And that is even if we share the same ADHD brain, meaning we're not sharing the same brain, but I have an ADHD brain and you have an ADHD brain. Okay, so that's the first argument. How about this one? Let's go to the argument that I hear a lot from non-believers. In France, there's no such thing as ADHD. So tell me, is that something you've heard? Is that something you believe? Well, that came from Marilyn Wedge, 
who published an article. Now she's Dr. Marilyn Wedge. At the time, I think she was a marriage and family therapist, if I'm right. Um, But she now has a PhD. And in 2012, she published an article titled, Why French Kids Don't Have ADHD. And it was published on her blog on psychology.com. Dr. Wedge also has several other books, among them Pills Are Not for Preschoolers and A Disease Called Childhood. She's not an expert in ADHD and has no specific training on ADHD that I can actually find or see. So here's the first paragraph from the French Kids Post that she wrote. In the United States, at least 9% of school-aged children have been diagnosed with ADHD and are taking pharmaceutical medications. In France, the percentage of kids diagnosed and medicated for ADHD is less than one half percent. How has the epidemic of ADHD, firmly established in the U.S., almost completely passed over children in France? Dr. Wedge goes on to suggest that in the U.S., we view ADHD purely as a biological disorder with biological causes. She goes on to state that French doctors prefer to look for the underlying issue that is causing the child distress, not in the child's brain, but in the child's social context. She states that in France, there are stricter family rules and structures so that French children are generally better behaved than their American counterparts. Somehow then, she speculates that this upbringing explains low rates of ADHD among the French. So I agree with the structure part. All children do better when they know what to expect. The French probably also have a healthier diet than most Americans, so that's good, right? But it doesn't explain ADHD. I mean, I'm just thinking of my situation. I have a Japanese father and a German mother. No one had more structure than my family. Yet still, three out of four of us kids probably have ADHD. The French also have a much stronger safety net with child support for working families. And come on, that can only help, right? And the fact that fewer kids in France are diagnosed with ADHD doesn't mean that fewer French kids actually have ADHD. So I found an abstract from the World Psychiatry Association published by the National Institute of Health from ADHD expert Ferreone, and I hope I'm not massacring his name, who studied ADHD for more than three decades. And again, I'm going to post the link in the show notes. He looked at whether or not ADHD could be found around the world, or was it strictly an American condition? He and his researchers concluded that ADHD is not an American phenomenon and found the prevalence of ADHD in many countries to be in the same range as that found in the United States. And this is important because recognition of ADHD worldwide counteracts all the misinformation which prevents kids from receiving assistance which they need to achieve their potential at home, school, and in life. In 2011, Ferreone also looked at ADHD among children in France and said that the prevalence of ADHD in kids had never been examined in France. So I'm not sure where Wedge got her 0.5% of kids in France have ADHD. You can't just say there's no ADHD in France when the truth is actually that ADHD has never been studied in France. Ferreone estimated that the prevalence of ADHD in kids in France was actually somewhere between 3.5% and 5.6%. 
In France, my understanding is also that most child psychiatrists belong to the psychoanalytic movement. When I did research on mental health in France, the word outdated kept popping up. And because of this, there seems to be a preference for talk therapy and Freud. Yeah, Freud, really. And an aversion to cognitive behavioral therapy. In France, the prescription of Ritalin, this was as of 2013, is the only psychostimulant approved in France for ADHD. So this shows how little the French have in their medical arsenal to treat ADHD. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, in France, alcohol is the second biggest cause for preventable deaths in France after tobacco, killing some 41,000 people each year. In France, they drink 11.8 liters per capita per year. In the United States, we drink 8.7 liters per capita per year. In France, that equates to 39.3 handles of vodka versus in the U.S., 29 handles of vodka. In 1956, France banned the serving of alcohol to children under the age of 14 in the school canteens. Prior to that, school children had the right to drink half a liter of wine, cider, or beer with their meals. It was only in 1981 that France implemented a total alcohol ban in the country's schools. On top of that, almost double the amount of people smoke in France versus the United States. 15.9% to 27%. So why is this information about alcohol and tobacco even relevant? Well, we know that untreated ADHD, it leads to substance abuse. If you don't deal with ADHD, guess what? It shows up in other areas as addiction, or should I say self-medication? We have many studies that show that stimulant medication reduces the risk of developing an addiction. I'll talk about more of that in a moment. I grew up with this idea that the French eat, drink, and smoke, and they never get fat, they never get sick, and I've discovered that's not true at all. The truth is that ADHD experts have all examined parenting skills, social and environmental factors that contribute to ADHD symptoms. Medication is prescribed because it works, but a great ADHD expert should also look at non-pharmacological treatments as well as medicine. Things like behavioral modification, exercise, nature, cognitive behavioral therapy, executive function training, mindfulness, meditation. We talked about tapping a couple of weeks ago. And you know what? These things work. Remember, pills don't teach skills. Medication is life-changing for many, but it's only a part of the formula. How we treat, choose to treat ADHD can be different. We are different countries with different values. However, that doesn't mean that French kids don't have ADHD. And the fact that Wedge is perpetuating this misinformation to millions to sell her books is terrible for all kids and people with ADHD. So what's next? Tell me, do you believe that ADHD is an American invention? It was created by parents who don't want to parent and teachers who don't want to teach and greedy doctors and big pharma so they can sell more drugs. That is why we've seen more American kids diagnosed with it every year. We have far more ADHD than in Europe and other parts of the world. So is that what you believe? Okay, let's talk about that next. ADHD, it's not an American invention or a product of our current society. We see rates of diagnoses anywhere from 5% to as high as 11%. It's my understanding, however, that the 11% wasn't from a clinical study, but a phone survey 
conducted by the CDC. More reliable rates fall somewhere between 5 and 9%, depending on the study, and that can be for a number of reasons. First off, it's true that this number has been steadily rising, jumping from 7.8% in 2003 to 9.5% in 2007. But just because more kids are being diagnosed, that doesn't mean that they're being misdiagnosed. In any other condition, it's a good thing, right? When more people are being diagnosed. When more people are being diagnosed with any other medical condition early, that allows us a better opportunity to intervene before things get serious. I mean, the earlier that we know that, hey, this is ADHD, the better we can treat it. And if you think that's not true, I want you to come over and listen to the 32,000 women in my Facebook group to hear the heartbreaking stories from those who for decades thought that they were lazy, useless, and failures just because they didn't understand how their brains worked when they were younger. Our women are constantly sharing how angry and sad they are that they didn't know sooner. You'd also hear how not being diagnosed and learning how to work with our ADHD creates all kinds of other mental health issues like anxiety, depression, disordered eating, addiction disorders, etc., etc. What else can I tell you about the rates of diagnoses in the United States? Well, we know more about ADHD. Most of the important research in ADHD has been done by Americans in America. We still have a long way to go, but in general, as a public, we are more educated on ADHD. Think about it. If the prevalence of ADHD in kids had never been examined in France until that 2011 study, wouldn't that actually mean that they know little, if anything, about ADHD? The guidelines used to diagnose ADHD have also changed. For example, they expanded the age for diagnoses. It used to be 6 to 12 and was changed to 4 to 18. I know they used to require that girls be diagnosed by age 12, but then they discovered that they were missing so many girls because many girls don't start showing symptoms until puberty. I know I certainly didn't. I also believe that we have more ADHD in this country, that it's in our DNA, Who else but someone who's impulsive, restless, independent, creative, a dreamer, someone who's ADHD, would leave their warm, cozy country and family, get on a rickety boat and sail over to the dangerous new world? Yeah. We are a nation of immigrants, so doesn't it make sense that we would have more ADHD as a country? Experts today state that ADHD is still underdiagnosed, especially among girls and adult women. Why? Because ADHD often looks different in us. Okay, so what's next? What else could we talk about? How about this one? Have you heard this or do you believe this? Everyone has ADHD or everyone has ADHD today. It's the result of smartphones and video games and social media and just our lifestyle. Now, we know that that's a myth that the public believes because the media has done such a terrible job of researching and telling the truth about ADHD. Instead, they opt for the sensational headlines and spotlight the charlatans who will say anything to sell their latest books. So how would I respond if someone says, oh, everybody has some ADHD or everyone has ADHD today. It's an invention of modern society. Well, I'd respond no and sort of. So let's start with no. (laughs) First, there have always been stories about kids who have ADHD. In 1844, 
There were children's stories called Fidgety Phil, who couldn't sit still. There was Struppelpeter in Germany, 1844. He was a mess. I remember hearing about him when I was a kid. My first language was German. We have the sound of music. Now that's an adult, right? A young adult. How do we handle a problem like Maria? We have Dennis the Menace and Tom Sawyer, who couldn't sit still in school or church. We have Amelia Bedelia. We have Sherlock Holmes. We have the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. I always feel a bit like the White Rabbit. And more recently, there was Beverly Cleary's Ramona. Remember Ramona the Pest? Yeah. She's defiant. She's outspoken. She doesn't follow rules. She questions everything and wants to do things her way. ADHD is definitely not an invention of modern society. It's been around forever. In 1868, it was called the defect of moral control. You were also called lazy, stupid, difficult, and an underachiever, and there was no treatment plan other than try harder. In the early 1960s, ADHD was called, get this, minimal brain dysfunction, as opposed to the big brain damage that you would find in cerebral palsy or what they then called mental retardation, which we now thankfully call intellectual disability. Then it was changed to hyperkinetic, wait a minute, hyperkinetic disorder of childhood in the late 60s. And finally named ADHD after that. And today, we're starting to call it executive function deficits. ADHD, it's a spectrum condition, meaning that we can all have symptoms of ADHD in varying degrees. Everyone can all relate at one time or another to being late, forgetting things, acting impulsively, feeling restless or distracted, getting overwhelmed, losing things. The key, though, is the severity of those symptoms. Do they happen a couple of times a week, or is it a daily or hourly phenomenon where it is severely impairing to your life? Only then does it rise to the condition that we call ADHD. So is modern life impacting ADHD? Sort of. Attention spans are becoming shorter. Patience is becoming less. Could all of this be technology rewiring our brains? Maybe. I know Dr. Ned Hallowell also has a theory that you've heard me in other previous episodes talking about the task positive network and the default mode network and our brains light up we're in, we're in the task positive network, which is anytime we're in action. But the task positive network, it's like a muscle and we all have it, whether we have ADHD or don't have ADHD, it's like a muscle. And so if you don't use it, you lose it. Well, guess what? If you're constantly in front of screens, watching other people do things, guess what? You're not in action. And so, yeah, your default mode network starts to light up a lot more than your task positive network. And so, yeah, attention spans become shorter, patience becomes less, and technology could be rewiring our brains. We don't quite know yet. Kids also get less physical activity, not just at home, but at school. We have less structure, which ADHD kids need even more of, not less of. We have more stuff, more options, more technology. We used to have four channels. I don't know how old you are, but do you remember Sunday mornings maybe? Or maybe you've heard of what Sunday mornings used to be like, where there were one or two stations that had cartoons. And you'd literally sit there and you'd watch the lines going back and forth until the cartoon started. (laughs) 
at night after the late night talk shows, I remember the screen would just go to these squiggly lines and then it would just go gray. That was it. You could not watch television 24-7. So if ADHD is a spectrum condition, wouldn't it make sense that kids who otherwise wouldn't have symptoms that would reach the ADHD level of impairment might get pushed over to that threshold given all the distractions that we have today? Yeah, probably. There is so much more to amuse ourselves with, you know? We used to be taught patience and waiting, and we no longer need this as much in daily life. We've become more of a right here, right now society, and exactly because of this, a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy and coaching really works for ADHD because it teaches these kinds of skills. The power of the pause, thinking before we act, learning how to curb our impulsiveness where it doesn't serve us. With an ADHD brain, we need these skills even more today because of all of the distractions. Video games, social media, smartphones, they're not necessarily making people more ADHD. They're just more attractive to people with ADHD who love novelty because they are so engaging. As Russell Barkley says, when you do, I should say, as Dr. Russell Barkley says, when you do a math problem on a piece of paper, nothing happens. There is no immediate feedback. It's not like playing a video game, right? Where you get constant and immediate feedback. Of course, that's boring to everyone, the math problems, but especially to those with ADHD. Bottom line though, doctors were seeing ADHD symptoms in kids way before the internet. Okay, so what else can we talk about? Well, How about this one? Do you think this? We are medicating our kids and turning them into addicts. Do you say that? Do you believe that? Okay, so I've never met a parent who didn't really struggle with the decision about whether to medicate or not medicate their child for ADHD. It's interesting how we don't question medication for pretty much any other condition, right? But we do for ADHD. If a doctor prescribes medication for, I don't know, a heart problem or um, a skin problem, uh, yeah, we listen to the doctor, headaches. We listen to the doctor, we take the medication, right? Look, no one dislikes big pharma more than I do. But in this instance, facts are facts. There are so many studies that have been done on the safety of Ritalin. It's been around, I think, for more than five decades and used to treat ADHD. So, Most asthma drugs, they haven't been studied as much as Ritalin yet. Yeah, if your kid has asthma, sure. Here's the medication that your doctor prescribes. Most of us don't think twice about going ahead and giving that to our child. But we do for ADHD. And if we're talking about addiction, many studies have been shown that show an inverse relationship between drug therapy for ADHD and drug abuse. People with ADHD who receive treatment this is not just medication, but it also includes medication, who receive treatment in childhood, listen to this, are 50% less likely than their untreated peers to abuse drugs or alcohol in adolescence or young adulthood. It makes sense. These kids, when they're not treated properly, they self-medicate. So the debate's over. No reputable scientist or doctor can argue this fact. The media needs to step up and stop printing sensational headlines and stories that perpetuate the myth that there is no such thing as ADHD. We also need to start being willing to have these conversations with people. 
letting them know what it is that we know. You know, as Dr. Ned Hallowell says, ADHD, it's not an unmitigated blessing, but neither is it an unmitigated curse, which is usually the way it's presented. He goes on to say that I have been treating this condition for 25 years, and I know that if you manage it right, this apparent deficit can truly become an asset. I think of it as a trait and not a disability. The notion that a disability can be harnessed in a positive way, it's not a new concept. Think about it. 35% of small business entrepreneurs identify themselves as dyslexic. The researchers concluded that dyslexia made them better communicators and problem solvers, more likely to delegate authority. I mean, doesn't that make sense? If you struggle in one area, you're going to compensate in another area. And as one of our listeners said at the very beginning of our podcast, she has learned that, yeah, for every weakness, there's a flip side to it. On the other side, there's an enormous strength. And that is what we need to focus on. So, Until you have a child with ADHD, you don't know what you will or won't do, but hear me out. The most damaging thing that you can do for your child is treat them as if they're damaged, defective, and flawed, because truly they are none of those things. I will tell you that what I've seen and heard firsthand is that the fallout from years of struggling to fit into the wrong environment, whether we're talking teachers, parents, spouses, bosses, families, You know, these people who only point out your weaknesses and they never mention your strengths, that that is far worse to your self-esteem and mental health than the actual ADHD. This, and knowing you're not living to your potential, is what often causes anxiety and depression. A whopping 23.5% of ADHD women have attempted suicide. That statistic blew me away. And I only heard it recently. I had someone from my Facebook group contact me about suicide. She wanted to post something and she cited that statistic. And I flat out said, that's wrong. That can't be. Didn't even do the research. I was so certain of it. And then I thought about it for a second. And I thought, you know what, Tracy, you're putting your head in the sands because you don't want to talk about, you know, anything that isn't kind of positive and strength focused, right? And so I went and did some research and she was completely accurate. I was floored by that statistic. 23.5% of ADHD women have attempted suicide. And just so you know, it is much higher for ADHD women than for ADHD men. So medication, if it works, and I have seen it truly change people's lives, allows them to start creating the systems that they need to live to their potential. And there is nothing more satisfying than that. And you don't know me, but I'll be straight up with you. Medication doesn't work for me. So, you know, I have every reason since I've had to figure out um, workarounds that are non-medication workarounds. I have every reason to just jump on the bandwagon there But again, I have literally seen ADHD medication change people's lives like a complete 180. So again, if you had diabetes, would you not take insulin? If you had a child with diabetes, would you not give them medication prescribed by their doctor? Good parenting, it really requires that we educate ourselves so that our kids can be successful and can be happy. In my experience, contrary to this idea that people are clamoring for ADHD medication, which is what you constantly read in the media, 
Most people are terrified when they take their first dose of ADHD medication. You can come over to my Facebook group if you don't believe me. That is a very common post. You know, I was just diagnosed with ADHD. My doctor prescribed medication. It's been sitting here for a week. I am terrified to try it. Can someone tell me what their experience was? So yeah, people are not clamoring to take medication. They are very concerned about, is this the right thing for them to do? ADHD, it has nothing to do with intelligence. And in fact, many of our country's most successful people have or did have ADHD. Just off the top of my head, I can think of Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, Michael Phelps, Cher, Ellen DeGeneres, Leonardo da Vinci, Will Smith, Serena Williams, Mel Robbins, the list goes on and on. We are at the pinnacle of every profession, no matter what it is. ADHD, it's really context-driven. We have really fast brains and often too much energy. Our problem is dealing with menial work, which makes no sense to us. We need to be really interested in what we're doing to be successful. We need to be pursuing the right creative. We need to be living life with intensity. We need to be able to move. And we need exciting to us activities that reward spontaneity. That's what the ADHD brain typically excels in. That said, every ADHD brain is different, and that is what makes it so hard to diagnose. Every ADHD brain also learns differently and performs better in certain contexts than others. Once our education system catches up to that, instead of continuing to do what we've done for 150 years, we go wide rather than deep, right? And going wide usually doesn't work for our brains because if we can't understand why we have to learn something, if it doesn't make sense to us, if we have no interest, it becomes impossible for us to do it. Not everybody. For some of us ADHDers, education is our gift. Again, every ADHD brain looks different. You know, there's a wonderful video by Dr. Ross Green that I'm going to actually post in the show notes. Ross Green is the author of Lost at School, The Explosive Child, and Lost and Found. He's a clinical psychologist who was on the faculty at Harvard Medical School for more than, I think, 20 years. And in this video, and again, I'm going to post it in the show notes, he talks about how kids will do well when they can. And that's really the shift that we need to make. Many of us have decided that ADHD, it's a behavioral problem. It's not that these kids can't do it. We believe that they can, they just won't. And I don't know, they won't because they are spiting us, right? We've made it a moral failing, a character flaw. So instead, we say things like, he doesn't want to do well. He's lazy. He's unmotivated. He's capable of so much more, but he just won't do it. Kids with ADHD also experience situational variability. So you think, how can he focus on basketball for four hours, but he can't pay attention when I ask him to go do this chore or when I ask him to do his homework? He won't do it. It's not that he can't do it. I know he won't do it because he can do it. When he wants to do basketball, he can do that. Perhaps you believe that willpower, consequences, discipline, and punishment are the only way. But the problem is, consequences do not change behavior. 
How can they if the child can't do what is being requested of them? In my experience, all kids want to do well. They want to get good grades. They want to please their parents. If they're not doing those things, it's not because they won't do it. It is because they can't do it. ADHD is a deficit of interest, motivation, and emotional regulation. Kids do well when they can. When ADHD kids try and try and try, but because of their brain wiring and a lack of support, see no effect from their efforts, they stop trying. They adopt learned helplessness, and they begin to believe that they have no control over the outcomes in their life. After all, why would you bother when nothing works and no one cares? They don't even realize how hard you've tried in the past. All the put-downs and focus on everything these kids do wrong affects their self-esteem, and it affects their self-esteem often for forever. All of our brains, ADHD or not, we have a negativity bias. But for those of us with ADHD, that additional cortisol that floods our brain when we're down on ourselves and focusing on everything that we're doing wrong, I call it rumination. This exacerbates our ADHD symptoms and creates this loop of stress and anxiety and depression. But guess what? The opposite is also true. You know, I talk a lot about how we're gold star people who come alive when our gifts are appreciated and acknowledged. And if you don't believe me, try it. Instead of constantly looking to catch your child doing something wrong, focus on trying to catch them doing something right and then acknowledge the hell out of them for it. And then what I want you to do is watch their eyes light up. And that right then and there, when they're in positive emotion, that's when you have the best chance of getting them to do something that you'd like them to do that they struggle to get done. Look, we can't get anything done when we're in negative emotion, but we can move mountains when we're in positive emotion. That's just how our brains work. These kids, they need you on their team. They don't need to be fixed. They're not broken. What if you took the time to explore their world instead of trying to force them to fit into yours? They're brilliant and creative, imaginative, funny, intense, kind, and caring. They don't need to work harder. They need to understand their unique brain wiring so that they can work smarter. And you know what? You can help them do this. I always ask parents who want to do things their way. So how's that working for you and your child? Because after all, they wouldn't be talking to me if all was going well, would they? And then I ask them, well, what if we try something different? What would you love your relationship with your child to look like? And what if we could start building that now? Robert Dendy was a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy, and he served as a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy. He was also a passionate advocate for educating fathers about ADHD, where he openly shared about the mistakes he made raising his eldest son who had ADHD. Well, he has ADHD. Before Robert Dendy's death, he often spoke about how the tough love discipline strategies that he learned in the Navy, they didn't work with his son. When his son was a senior in high school, he found him on the floor bleeding from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. 
Robert Dendy spoke about the fact that with a child with ADHD, it often looks like they won't do it when in fact it's that they can't do it. Robert's story had a happy ending. His son survived and with support for his ADHD, he was finally able to find success in school, in his career and with his own family. I tell my ADHD students and clients all the time that they're the only expert on themselves. I also ask them to pay attention to how they feel when they leave a friend, a family member, their job, their spouse. You know, you can feel physically exhausted when you leave your job because you've worked hard, but you also need to feel like you're in the right place, right? That you're contributing something of value, that you're respected, that you're needed. In any of these relationships, if you feel like everything is wrong with you, nothing is ever right with you, you're unheard, you're only expected to just stay in your place and do your work that no one cares, well, then quite simply, you need to be in a different environment. Those of us with ADHD can be wildly successful, but first we need to be in the right families, the right relationships, and doing the right job. And this all starts with interest. I ask my ADHD students and clients to notice who in their life makes them feel good, inspired, motivated, happy, and grateful, and then to go around and find more of those people. Don't you want to be that person for those ADHD people that you love? Remember, all relationships are about one of two things, power or connection. Which one is most important to you? You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.